want to see you coming back in here with fucking jerseys. I want to see you coming back in here with bloodstained jerseys. Look at anybody going sitting in a pint with those boys after that. And the referee is looking around and acting as Mickey. Tell the children to play tennis or something. If they want to play tennis, go and play tennis. We're going to start this week with a quote from Kevin Whelan, an academic and historian in an interview with the Sunday Independent yesterday. I was once beside Brian Cody when painter Mick O'Dea had done a painting of a Kilkenny team in the 1920s and they had a shindig down to Kilkenny. I was there because I knew Mick and I ended up beside Brian Cody. There were a few paintings. One was of the Black and Tans, the next one was of the Kilkenny hurling team. And whatever way Mick had painted them, they kind of looked the same. So I said to Cody, look at that. Kilkenny looked like the Black and Tans and he said, yeah, two killing machines. Welcome to the Three Man Weave, the Buzz Out of EGA podcast. Morris here, delighted to be joined by Mick and Mark as usual. Uh, hello to all our new listeners. There's been a lot of you, it's been a great couple of weeks for the podcast. We're very grateful for that. If you're enjoying it, lads, please do review it. And if you're not, review it anyway. Uh, it does help us. Lads, what a weekend people. that was. Turns out uh, Kilkenny are the last remnants of British imperialism, if they're like the black and tans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't read that quote to download music. Um, yeah, what an incredible weekend. Uh, I, it's, it's, you were very, very excited about Morrison. I think it's lived up to expectation. It, it certainly has, yeah. Number one rule of podcast club, paid off again. Do you want another one of these quotes about Brian Cody? That's another yeah, one I like on, as well. The same evening, somebody said to him, did you want somebody that would die for the jersey? And he said, no. I want a lad that'll kill for the jersey. <laughs> There's been more insight into that article about Ryan Cody than I've gotten in the past 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. And particularly after the game that came at the weekend. Jeez, it was incredible, wasn't it? I can't remember if... Who was it was saying? Who was on RT after... Oh, someone on RT Radio 1 yesterday evening on the way. I think it might have been Eddie Brennan. No, I don't know. It was one of the former Limerick... Or former Kilkenny players who was saying that there was an Ireland semi-final they won uh, back when they were in their pomp. And they were all celebrating. And Cody hadn't played well. He was a cork they may have eaten. And Cody came out and was like, what the fuck he's doing celebrating? Get in there. This is, that's a semi-final. Like, these were, like, we were, we were shit. Get in that dressing room. We have a final to win. <laughs> and then <laughs> fast forward to Saturday night and he's out lepping about the place like a spring lamb. Yeah. There was a great line in uh, Dennis Washington, uh, an article in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago about when Eddie Renner was the Kilkenny 21 manager and they lost the famous lost at Leinster final. And the next day, Eddie Redding got a call and it was Brian Cody. And Brian Cody said, I have something to tell you. And Eddie Redding said, what? And he said, you have too many nice hurlers in that team. And <laughs> if ever there was a quote that indicated what, how Kilkenny turned up at the weekend, it was like, there was no nice hurlers there on Saturday. Definitely not. So lads, it was such a good weekend and there's so much to talk about that I decided, uh, when I watched these games back, I made a list. I made a list of 10 things that I'm afraid that we won't talk about if I don't read them out now. So I'm going to rattle through my list. Ten, is this, the, this is the sequel to 10 Things I Hate About You. It's <laughs> called 10, 10 things, things I, I Love About Hurling. <laughs> <laughs> this is 10 things that I loved about the last Harlem weekend. Um, they're just random, like they're just moments of skill or just mo- random moments that weren't necessarily highlights but I'd be worried that we won't touch on them without talking about them so I'm going to rattle through this quickly and if you've any additions please feel free to make them right so going in order here uh Liam Ryan's score and Michael Dugan's reaction he said it was the best score he's seen in Crow Park from a fullback coming out like on, on a burst like that and hit it from the sideline it's the 12th, 12th time that Michael Dugan has ever said that in commentary <laughs> but maybe they keep getting better uh, on that team uh, Ronan Maher's score when he burst out like a train and put it over the bar the, the Quaid 
moment with the contact lens and Brendan Cummins commentary that went with him so they're 7-2 down at this moment then all of a sudden Limerick goalkeeper goes down he's messing with his eye and Brendan Cummins explains oh I don't even think he wears contact lenses and like, <laughs> that was, that, if ever there was a voice of experience speaking there it was Brendan Cummins talking about that Brendan Cummins could have been a minor before contact lenses were even invented and he would have gone down fixing his contact lens so he knew exactly what he was talking about uh, Davey's interview geez I thought it was just class he was an absolute class act after the game yeah. um, I thought it was, it was really lovely the, we're not going to talk about this because it was disallowed but the Lee Chin disallowed point when he caught the ball three times like the skill of that to flick it over he flicked it over a player and then the ball came down on the wrong side his hurl was facing the wrong way so he flicked it again and then caught the ball and in the same motion as catching it had his backswing thing and stuck it over the bar um, If I know obviously he caught the ball three times but if ever there was one to let it go if we're going to let go eight steps or a friendly score you might as well let go catching the ball <laughs> three times um, Sir Farrell rubbing, <laughs> rubbing salt into Munster's wounds by saying maybe Munster aren't as good as I think they are after, <laughs> after the game straight literally after the game finishes it's the first thing he wants he, what number are we on now? He goes to, that's five. Um, don't know, we're going to talk about that later. Jesus, I thought it was just comical. Uh, what is <laughs> In a bad way. <laughs> um, the TJ Reid catch before AJ Mullins' second point. The, he caught the ball from a, uh, it was like the, do you know that old screenshot of Messi when there's about six players descending on him? He caught the ball from a poke out and started running towards goal and literally, like, it was like moths to a flame. They just completely descended on him and then he just turns around and Mullins stands in miles of space and just flicks him back and Mullins sticks it over the bar. Yeah. Like, does, if ever there's a man, like, uh, we're going to talk about Shane Dowling's goal later, but Shane Dowling's celebration. Ah, was con- yes, I was, afraid, <laughs> I was waiting for you not to say this one. He was, he, <laughs> How could you not he, this. He was as giddy, like he did kind of a, a knee high jump. It was kind of like he was running on a hot coals, like his knees up around his thing. And it was, was like he was starting a lawnmower yeah. and he needed to get a runner. <laughs> <laughs> the fist pump was just pull back and jump up. And the final one is uh, just as a team across the weekend. James Maher scored a last minute point. Adrian Mullen was incredible. Jake Moore standing up. Like, whatever about the, I think Hurling right now, and I've always said this, is that an incredible, like, this is a golden era. And you've got hurlers like Seamus Callanan and TJ Reid and Patrick Horgan doing their thing. But whatever about now the future looks bright as well and you see boys like that standing yeah. up in Crow Park and doing what they do and for that reason I th- there are just 10 things that I really loved with this weekend and I was worried we weren't going to get into them I'll add a, just a couple like that there, there, there's kind of I have more kind of general things to talk about that I don't want to forget about but in terms of little little moments I thought that um, Brian Cody just displaying such emotion and happiness and seeing that man after all he's given and all he's you know and all he's done in the game to just have such unbridled joy and emotion on his face I was really happy to see it even though I kind of wanted Limerick to win the match being honest you know but I just thought ah bloody hell that's a that's a class thing to see and then I just you kind of alluded to it a little bit but the um the 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 whole things started off so beautifully when I knew we were in for a weekend to remember when we witnessed a Lazarus-like comeback before any hurling had even been playing when I turned on the TV only to see Cyril Farrell's face for the first time all summer <laughs> out of nowhere back at live television for the All-Ireland semi-final I said now we're hurling just to make this into a 15 or so I have a few more here as well um a uh, Liam Sheedy celebration after they won which was not the one where he's running over to his family like a normal person celebration but like when it cut to him on the sideline he did some sort of like I don't know what was like some sort of roar or barbaric sort of yap that he kind of yeah. clenched his fists I kind of went Rrr! I can't I can't <laughs> it on a podcast because it was it was a visual thing but it looked like he almost took a moment 
to meditate or something and take deep breaths and just sort of stood there all tensed up it was that you know that moment when you're you're standing in your kitchen and you're trying to force the lid off a jar like really hard and you're just like, like <laughs> <laughs> both hands down and you're trying to tear that's what that reminded me of before, before you go to the next one can i just add 13a to your 13 about liam sheedy there and he is the most underrated you talk about davy all the time we talk about what cody does we talk about all these managers Sheedy is the most underrated sideline manager of all. There was one point where he was trying to G up Tipperary in the second half, where he started on around the halfway line and was doing kind of twer- like kind of like a tornado motion with his fist, Ging them up, and he made it all the way up to nearly the corner flag, going without, <laughs> without stopping once, just shouting at them, doing this continuous circle with a closed fist the whole way. He's brilliant on the sideline, yeah, pure physicality. Like. If Noel McGrath is the number one GPS leader. Sheedy has to be a close second. He covers an unbelievable <laughs> amount of ground on the sideline. Uh, Nash coming out towards the end. They actually highlighted this set on the Sunday game, Sunday night show, which was annoying because I thought we'd be the only person who noticed it. Uh, Nash coming out towards the end of the Limerick Kilkenny match and uh, all six Kilkenny forwards chasing <laughs> him the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was like, this is all or nothing. Uh, uh, one of the two had a... Oh, uh, Paddy Maher... Uh, Bursting out, won a brilliant ball in towards the end. Came bursting out, dropped it, flicked it up into his own hands. Came running through again, <laughs> gave away a free for uh, traveling, which what shouldn't have been. But also, it was like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to run through the entire, both entire sets of teams at the ground? But look, it's one of those where if you asked me, just say, I don't know, lads. It was just sort of going that way at the time. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, well, we, we're going to do this the hard way, and I'm going to do this the hard way. <laughs> I just barreled through. And another one that all of you would have missed was that we had uh, the first round of our football, club football championship in Cavan the, at the same time as the uh, Tipperary and <laughs> Wexford game. And our club chairman is from Tipperary. So we're about 15 minutes into the club match. He's standing on the sideline. We're looking up the line. We, we're in the attack. We kick a bad wide. He simultaneously reacts with what can only be described as a hurling fist pump, a sort of. <laughs> like, was there the a you? What the hell's happened there? It was like, no, it was more of a just to himself. He's like, yeah, Gee, that was wide, like totally. <laughs> <wide." laughs> <laughs> looking, he's looking at his phone. He's like, tip one, tip one. <laughs> he was completely engrossed in something else. On that, Mick, on your point about Brian Cody's celebration, yeah. uh, I about. Well, two years ago, I went into a, a restaurant in Dublin and I saw, you know that moment when your brain is like slightly frazzled when you see a teacher outside of school when you're a kid? I saw Brian Cody sitting down for lunch and it was the same thing. It was kind of like, I was uh, taken back by his like humanity. I could, it was just, I've always associated them with this machine and this brute machine that when I saw him outside of those confines and that's what the celebration reminded me as well. It was kind of like, geez, he is human after all. Like he's not just this like, robotic machine that stomps on the hopes and dreams of Limerick people everywhere. Um. <laughs> Absolutely Limerick people, yeah. Uh, I, you know, we talked, Morris, you brought up a interesting idea actually on Friday was that like last year's semi-finals were so good, it was going to take so much to live up to it. And, you know, I don't think the hurling season has been really that great this year up until now, but it's, you know, weekends like this where they did live up to last year's semi-final that makes us all this kind of like evangelists about the game that, you know, I think, I think people do kind of get a little bit sick of and, um, I understand that too, but it, it's it's just very hard not to sometime. And I had an interesting experience this weekend because I was actually down in Galway for a kind of a, a, just a night away with some of my friends and centerpiece for me was making sure that we were in a good pl- space uh, to watch the, the Kilkenny, Gal- the Kilkenny uh, Limerick game. And out we went anyway, went to the Pucon, lots of TVs, lots of people watching the game, which was very important. It wasn't just on in the background. And 
there was five of us there and I would say I'd be the most kind of staunch GA kind of person there uh, three of the lads would have between a good interest and a passing interest but were interested in the game but you know it was a it was a day out and long day and they you know they kind of wandered as it went on and then another guy my friend Sean who's been my friend for many a long year he's a he's a real Dublin guy he never had much time for GEA. He's a soccer guy. He one of those people that kind of like randomly blames the GEA for kind of the way it's Weird treated issues, people yeah. over the years, you know, and kind of has an aversion to it. And never watched a game. Many's an argument about Gaelic football and hurling that never is about the actual sport, if you know what I mean. So he stand there with me, and as the lads wander, I notice about twenty minutes into the game, Sean's asking me a lot of questions, and suddenly he is absolutely and thoroughly engrossed by this sporting event happening in front of him. He's a man who grew, who lives stone's throw away from Crow Park, but has never been there for, for a game, you know. And by the end of it, he is hanging on every puck of the ball. And we're organized, we're going to Crow Park next year. And, you know, all kinds of things. Oh, so, that's magic. So we, ev- we evangelate, if that's the word. Um, but sometimes... You know, the game does it for itself if we could just get people in front of it more often, you know, because I don't know I don't know how to describe how good that was better than you just sitting down and experiencing because it was just unbelievable sport, both games. like Yeah, it was. It was uh, incredible, really. Um, so later on in the show, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about both games. We're going to talk about the Sunday game um, <laughs> from last night. Um, we've been doing well to talk about the Sunday More game. More unbelievable and, sport. And not, uh, and not laughing. That'll be the challenge for the, this podcast. And we're going to have a look at ranking the semi-finals from the last two years, because I think it's a, a pretty interesting thing to do as well. But before we just move on, uh, speaking of people who have never watched the sport before and we're getting into it over the weekend. You might have uh, seen over the last few weeks the American comedian Josh Prey, who has become aware of GEA for the first time, has watched some clips from uh, the Hurling and some clips from Gaelic football. He was back on again at the weekend. He watched uh, Hurling live for the first time. He hadn't actually watched a match uh, as it was happening before and he watched both the semi-finals. Now, there was, you have to kind of take these things with a pinch, pinch of salt because this is a lad who, uh, he, he spotted a, a trend that was going well for him and he decided to jump all aboard and the reaction he got to this. So it's always going to be a bit over the top. But yet, I cannot, you can't help but laugh at some of his analysis from the weekend. If I knew, if I would have known, I've been on this earth 34 years of my life, never would I have thought that a group of people holding a stick, running with a ball, hitting it like a baseball at the same time would get me this amped up, this excited. I have no stake in nobody's country. I have no stake in nobody's sound. But I'm Kill Kenny. I hope I'm saying, if I'm not saying Kyle Kenny, Kill Kenny, I'm working on my Irish accent. I am happy that y'all going. But... I hurt, I hurt for Limerick. I hurt deep down inside for Limerick because I was like, they uniforms look good, they players look so fast, but they fans were so crushed. August 18th is going to be one of the craziest finals because I watched the Tipperary dudes beat the Wexford dudes and that game came down to the end and then I almost ripped out my clothes out through my house butt naked is this how hurling is every single time they get together this is like the Super Bowl of the Super Bowl this is like Mother Earth meet Planet Earth and they smashed together and hurling was born I so when's he making his Sunday game punditry debut 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, in know. fairness, he talked more about uh, uh, the. It was more positive than yeah. some of what we saw. Yeah. <laughs> talked more about the heartbreak and the loss and the the victory than uh, some of what we the, actually saw. The full video of that is up on site, and he goes on to campaign all the major US TV networks to get Hurling on TV for this final that he's uh, so excited about, and rightly so. That's Limerick Kilkenny. Um, it's probably the first place to start. Um, like it's it's. Do you remember that old anti Daly quote about like a thousand mental things happen and eventually Kilkenny win? Or in, <laughs> <laughs> in her, like that's the it's probably the most apt description um, of this game. Before we get into it, the the game itself, like there was something typical Kilkenny about this, wasn't there, Mick? Yeah, I think so. I think we like, and we did talk about about it on Friday, and we seen like you know we kind of thought that they'd have. I just didn't think they had the hurlers, if you know yeah. what I mean. I thought they'd have the game plan, but I was disappointed in Limerick. Uh, Limerick started the game just in. It's funny, Don Lowe kind of called it the life to, uh, like casualness, and I was saying like you know that Kilkenny had more intensity and you know even hunger and all those words come into it. And I think sometimes they can sound like bad words, and it's it, 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 you know the we don't actually talk about what how much it actually does matter into things. And it's not that Limerick didn't want to win anymore, and we saw just how much they did as the game went on. I just don't think they reached the pitch of the game quick enough, and I think there was a kind of a... There was a... Maybe it was a kind of an overconfidence or something that Kilkenny just came at them. It's 100 miles an hour. I've never seen a team pack or hunt like a pack... Um, in the way they did, Limerick had no room. It just there was a. You're saying like this is typical Kenny. Ten minutes into the game, I'm thinking this is impossible to hurl against. I don't know what you're supposed to do to get out of this trouble. And obviously, Limerick did figure it out. And you know, it's tactical switches and stuff that 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 end up um, leading to them getting back into the game. But it was more just they have no time. They have yeah. no time on the ball. And then you add someone like TJ Reid into that scenario with a bit of space and he's just like what he his performance in the first half was one of the best hurling performances I've ever seen because it it isn't even always only what he's doing when he wins the ball it's it's just a leading by example all over the pitch like he was fantastic I've got two questions for you the very first question and I'm not I'm kind of loath to give this any credence but just I, mean, I think it might be a yes or no how much do you put down the break between the Munster final and it's what everybody's talking about we have got, so we're going to have to address it. is that a, a factor in Limerick's slow start it might be but it shouldn't be and if it is that's that's their fault yeah I, ju- I, I'm sick of talking about it because the Leinster champions don't ever seem to have any problem with it I know both lost this year but it doesn't generally happen you know and John Kiley put, had no credence for that at all he said he wouldn't yeah. change anything about their um their preparation. The second thing, right, on TJ. So we spoke about this at length on Friday on, on TJ Reid and what Limerick were going to do to combat him. And we saw they did what both of us, I think, were in agreement they shouldn't do and they let him run free for the first time. Yeah, the difference was that you thought you knew they wouldn't and I thought you were wrong about that, but we both agreed that but what, the, they needed to. So just on that, right, I actually went to watch this game back and this is what TJ, in 20 minutes, this is what he did in, in that time. So in the very, very first thing he did was he scored a free. The second thing he did was he won the ball in his own half, then won a free. When he won that free, he had William O'Donoghue, Kyle Hayes and Keane Lynch all around him. All three of them had descended on him at that stage and they fouled him. Then he won a sideline and subsequently put the sideline over the bar. He turned over a ball for Mullins' first score. 
he the, the shot that eventually ended up in a free out for for Walter Walsh inside the square. He won that ball and gave the ball back in. He was actually turned over in his own half, and but it was fouled. There was no free, but he, so that was he lost possession there. Then he won free and had the the was going to be a goal when Sean Finn fouled him in the edge of the square. He was, so he won that ball himself, drove to the edge of the square, was fouled by Finn, and then eventually he won a ball, drove it long into Fogarty. And Fogarty missed the, the shot. And the final thing he did then, this is just before Hayes dropped into him. He had the he basically threw a ball, but won the free back, and Kyle Hayes held him up. So he won his free again and put the free over the bar. That's, that's in twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. That's in twenty minutes. That's what he, unbelievable. What, what, he, what, he, what he did in that time, and that's and like sometimes when you get into analysis, I think it's okay to say sometimes you don't know. And I, I'm I was I'm struggling to pronounce like what did Limerick think was going to happen for those 20 minutes when they're like I, I genuinely don't know what the plan was he like the the difference is right you have this thing where you've got players like O'Donoghue and Lynch and Hegarty actually dropping and trying to descend on him when he gets on the ball but when it's a player like TJ Reid that's too late when he's on the ball and you try and like, swarm him then that's actually too late what you need is somebody like right up like right up behind him the way Matt Hanlon was and on him the second the ball comes anywhere near him that's what you you need you need to happen it's not like you you can do it with a lot of players but you can't swarm TJ Reid he's too he's so this is are they did they underestimate him I, I can't do they, do they, do they not realise like that how? he kills you if he I, gets the ball in his hand I, I genuinely like Paul Connerick knows so much more about the game than we do John Kiley does as well I, I genuinely do not know what the plan was there for, because for, it just didn't make sense to me for, to do that for 20 minutes and then and Kyle Hayes who I, it's been said for the last year now he's a, he's a centre back in waiting and he eventually went and, and took, filled him up and JJ Delaney actually good analysis of this on Sky by bringing Hayes out it's it brought Mulcahy into the game because he could get the space that Hayes left up there so it, it gave him like sometimes players clog up space for their own teammates and that's kind of what was happened there so it freed up Mulcahy and to come out that, uh, that's proven as well by what happened with Tip when John McGrath was sent off I know we're not going to get to that now but it's a good illustration of what your point there exactly know? yeah so there, there was there was two pluses to bringing Hayes and doing that back but I don't understand why it took like I, I know what they did so we saw that on the Sunday game uh, Derek McGrath broke it down with the physio going over to Hannon and Connerk going over to Kyle Hayes and telling him to go back. But uh, I genuinely don't know why why it took so long. Like what what was I'd love to know because I'm sure they had there was some sort of if Declan Hannon didn't have clear issues, does he run amok as much as he did? I think he still does. Yeah. I, I I just I can't I there's there's so few players in the country when they play that far out from goal that you need to man mark. But he has to, he's one of them. He has to be. He just. His influence is so great in a game. Like he does a huge amount of work and the amount of time he just gets a lovely flick in to dispossess somebody and stuff like that is great. But the amount of stuff that he is central to, like a ball he gives winning, the way he won that sideline, there was four players around him and he, I think he went to play that ball off him, like you do in five-a-side, off the wall and back out. Like I think he went to play, I'll play this ball off the new player, win a sideline and he know, he backs himself to put it over from there anyway. I think he, 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 he that's the wavelength he's thinking on. I just don't understand why they didn't put somebody on him from the very start. I think it's fair to argue, not to argue, I think it's fair to make the point that Limerick should have done it better, should have had a better plan and should have done better, while also like just taking a second to bask in how good a performance and it's it not was. Easy and I'm glad that them, you went yeah. through what that was because he was like, there's times when you're just witnessing a guy 
it was just on a different level. We saw it a little bit with Horgan in the quarterfinal. Um, there's other times then somebody could, could be consistently good and say the way Seamus Callanan's getting the goal in every game, but and he'll do three, four beautiful things, but he might not dominate a game. But I don't ever, I don't know about in that 20 minute period or whatever it was, ever seeing one person dominate a hurling match in the way Reed was. And I think it was one seven to two points by the time they made any changes, you know, and it was mainly down to him, like as you pointed out. Yeah, is it fair to say as well that like Limerick, regardless whether the man marking him or not, uh, it's the, the round the middle toward where he wants possession uh, against Limerick is the worst place to want possession because that's where they're going to crowd and work like savages to get the ball back or to try to block to um, hurry and block you down. So like for him to produce that sort of performance when they're still trying to do that, regardless, I know that they could have done it better obviously when they had uh, his um, on his pin of his collar, but it was like. It's still an unbelievable feat. Yeah, it is. But I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I don't ever think you're going to take TJ totally out of it. TJ Reid totally out of the game. Like you can curb his influence, but you're not. Like, he's just too good a player to stop him. But in saying that, like the for ninety nine percent of players, you're right, Mark. So you, you'd, you'd be in those scenarios. You'd bottle him up. You'd force. He'd be, he'd be a free for overcarrying, or you turn him over, and they, then you see like Limerick break in huge numbers. That's what that's what they do. Like they do that really well. But think about the amount of times when Tijeri gets on the ball and it's just it's a lovely little hand pass to flick it to somebody in space. Think about that Mullen score in the second half. Like he wins the a puck up, turns and drives towards goal, and everybody just descends on him. And all he's, he's still has the like awareness to spin his back, turn around, and just feed Mullen, who just stands. Like yeah. that was good by Mullen as well, not to realize he doesn't need to go with him, so he stands off behind him, and everybody's taking out the game. It's just back to him. He's got loads of time to sod over the bar. Like he's got the he, he's one of the very few players who can actually like be used as an outlet or he can kind of circumnavigate that kind of swarming like savage hard working yeah. intensity with players descending on him and there's not many players who can do it but in the scenario when he is one of the few players that can do it I, I just don't understand why you don't stick somebody up right up beside him and try and not stop that because he can't but curb it but it's, I suppose to Mark's point it's not even that it's that it's even more to his credit that that is the place agree, where you yeah. can lose any other player yeah. and not let him wander and even though Limerick should have figured that out like it's not like Reed has got the run of the ground and he's a spare man or anything like that he still had to go and do it and make that space for himself so even though he might have been his influence was curbed for the kind of remaining 55 minutes of the game he what the damage he did was in a position where nobody else could do that damage yeah I've- he nailed on for order of the year now regardless of whether can he lose or not that's interesting like Mars is going to say no and the one thing I'll say is that he was so so good in the uh, game against Galway and and so so good in this game and in between he's actually been quiet so he's been winning frees and he's been scoring frees and he's doing all that but it even goes me to think more the two games we saw this week is like how much is he creating for those around them when he's so good that like they're basically have to have a man marker plus the swarms kind of taking him out of the game it, that's leaving Kilkenny forwards just that's leaving Colin Fenley with all these one-on-ones that he's getting inside and everything else you know so I think that I think he's well, he was already favoured on Friday as you told us in, in our quiz but uh, he's going to be hard caught anyway I'd say Callan then gets a hat-trick at the All-Ireland final maybe like what's an interesting thing about TJ Reid is uh, I, I I think he is already hurt of the year but I the narrative is decided by like, it's so many questions are going to be answered. Like, if Tipperary win the All-Ireland final, Bubba Zadoya will get an All-Star regardless of whether or not how he plays in that final. Uh, Callanan will get Player of the Year regardless of how he plays in that final. Like, these are just... that. That's the, 
history's written by winners, right? And that's the way it, yeah. it goes. The interesting thing about TJ, right? I so I did a piece up on this uh, at the weekend. So TJ Reed's is the scoring record is obviously from what most people might not realise is he's the lead assister this year as well in terms of assists. TJ Reed is at the top as well. And if you like, think about it, think back to it really, right? Say for example the Galway game. Adrian Mullen was taken off before half time. He didn't score. We, me, myself, and you, Mick thought we wouldn't see him again for the rest of the summer. We weren't sure what was going to happen, but mm-hmm. he came back into it and did really, really well. At the same time, the next game, TJ Reid was kept scoreless against Wexford, but Adrian Mullen scored one three, and of that one three, one one was assisted directly assisted by TJ Reid. Like so, the in terms of what he does, even when he doesn't score from he didn't score from play that day, but what he created outside of that, that and that's what you're talking about, Mick. It's kind of small things about even though he might be. Quire then is what did he hit against Dublin two twelve? The he still has that incredible influence away from that. I forgot as well. about the Dublin game actually when I was talking <laughs> about that when he beat them on his own and almost almost did it against Galway and kind of did it against Limerick. When you mentioned him there though, whatever about TJ Reid being nailed on for hurler of the year, Adrian Mullen surely must be nailed on for young hurler of the year. But like, think about this, Mark. Between now and the All Ireland final, Adrian Mullen is going to get his leaving cert results. It's <laughs> it's incredible. The influence he had, like, uh, whatever his score, he, what did he hit? Four points, which was in itself really impressive. But the amount of work he gets through is phenomenal. Mm. He's become their second. He's, it's, it's funny because Fenley is still there and is going to be a danger man. And But if you look at the six forwards for Kilkenny, in a very, very short space of time, he's become number two. Yeah, He's become the second guy you look to. And he is, he's, he's, he's getting those scores off the back of, you know, off the back of uh, Reed Flicks or whatever else. And he's kind of knocking up the three, four points a game while also just causing absolute havoc the whole time, like all the way through. The fi- my final thing I want to talk about, we're going to talk about Limerick in a second. Um, but the final thing I just want to talk about, about Kilkenny, like the, the, the entertainment will get the praise that it deserves and the the savage intensity and the dogs of war will all that'll all be discussed. But the one thing that I was was really striking about this game was how intelligent Kilkenny were so often in the game. So you saw that like the we know Quaid's number one puck out is into that space that's left on the right and it's Aaron Galan turn, he gets out in front of his man, he all needs a second turn and over the bar. And then you saw this was highlighted really well after the game. Walter Walsh dropping off and playing kind of as a third midfielder. So you put a six foot six guy standing in that space and then suddenly you can't hit that space in behind him. And on the other side, they double up. So they bring Buckley when he came on, stood in beside Fogarty. So Quay's choice is either put the ball out on top of Walter Walsh, all six foot six, uh, six, foot six of them, or go to the other side where Kilkenny have a numerical advantage. And it totally limits the influence that he can have. from the, Like that's clever. That's really but clever to try that's and... That's made up Morris. Kilkenny don't do tactics. That's just <laughs> Walter Walsh just went for a waltz and ended up randomly ended up in that space, and but uh, time and time again by complete chance. And I, and I remember uh, it's funny you say that, Mark, because I spoke to James Scahill, the Galway goalkeeper, recently, who was obviously in goals when they played Kilkenny in the uh, game last year in the Leinster final, and he talked to me about what Kilkenny had did. His number one target, his number one outlet, was Johnny Glynn. He used to puck the ball out on top of Johnny Glynn, and then he noticed for the that game for the second half Walter Walsh dropped and stood in beside um, Johnny Glynn and on the other side Buckley coming across the other side it's the exact same like it was a ploy to limit a goalkeeper that they managed to recycle from the Galway game when it was an influence to a half forward to somebody like uh, Galan who's a corner forward but you totally limit their outlets I thought that was clever the other player who probably won't get the same plaudits as a lot of other players will um, definitely not as many of the forwards Conor Fogarty lads yeah. Conor Fogarty is I, 
he's a master of understated defending. He just he perfectly times his interceptions. He kind of he really kind of glides like he's as sticky, but he very rarely seems to actually foul a prayer. Like he just manages he's patient out and then get his hurt in at the perfect time. He kind of reminds me a small bit of do you remember uh, that old Kerry cornerback uh, Thomas Sullivan? Thomas like Thomas Sullivan never he, he never he never messed it badly or somebody, but he just he, he wait 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 somebody go for a solo hand in ball's gone yeah. and Ford is the same like his timing is impeccable constantly he's as, an as interesting he one off. to bring up because I think he's been one of Kilkenny's best players this year and you'd be thinking he doesn't come up really in the conversation for all stars you know and he's he's at that place now where he was so good against Cork and he was brilliant again at the weekend it's like if he is a good All-Ireland final you know he should be nailed on but I wonder when they actually come to it and they sit down for it and, you know, are they still talking about the more flashy players? You know, when you're talking about wing back in midfield and it's an unfair, it's it's a weird one because sometimes it is those kind of brutish Kilkenny lads traditionally that we kind of associate with them. But now I think, I, I don't know, Fogarty's been there for so long and he's always been so consistent and so good. He never gets any plaudits. I'm it's actually weird, really glad yeah. you brought him up there. Because like, especially against Cork, he was fantastic. But he did, he continued it on again th- th- this week. Like, like he, and uh, he started off on Hegarty and cleaned him. Like, like Hegarty was taken off uh, early in yeah. the second half. And then kind of slowly started to move into the, as William Madonna, who started to come in, like William Madonna, who I thought was great as well, uh, started coming into the game more and more. He kind of, t- he occupied that centre space because if like Kyle Hayes is dropping off, Walsh is going to get a free roll, he's going to float there, but you need someone to stem the tide of those runners. And Fogarty did that as well. Like he kind of managed to... He's a role either, player, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and when re- you do have as many tactics really as well. Kilkenny, <laughs> the, the tactic machine that is Brian Cody, you need to... Uh, can I just go back on something you said there? And it's a conversation that I've been kind of having since the match ended, really, because I stupidly tweeted about it. I did mention I was away for the night, so don't worry about anything I tweeted uh, by kind of 8 o'clock on Saturday <laughs> night. Yeah, uh, what I'm just saying to people, don't don't mind me. But I've been having this conversation for two days, but you kind of mentioned, like, the mind, like I want to talk, the, forget about the intensity and the dogs of war. Well, I want to talk about the specific tactics that Kilkenny made. And I suppose... My point on how big a factor intensity and hunger played in that game, I think it's important to actually explain what I mean first and then talk about it because we have reached a kind of a a point where that's a cliche and people take the piss out of hurling people for banging on about intensity and hunger all the time. So much so that it's become dismissed as part of the game. Everything is about fitness and tactics and whatever else. But like you two both play sport. You like... It is a real thing. It is a, an absolute factor uh, in how much, um, how like you know how you apply the tactics that we're talking about. But it's not the only thing. I don't mean it's anything. I'm just saying that it is a very visible thing, a factor in what goes into the winning and losing of a game. And I actually thought that, especially on Saturday night, I didn't think there was a massive difference between the two teams yesterday. But I think on Saturday night, in the first half especially, and actually Limerick answered it in the second half hugely, but I thought there was a, a really visible difference in it. And because it's been relegated to a relic of the past in terms of analysis, it's like it's not really talked about. Yeah. Or if it is, it's kind of jeered. Yeah. Do you get me? Yeah. Yeah, so we might incorporate Limerick into that conversation actually because it's an interesting point. So like you've got like the small margins of side games like this, right? So you've got Limerick, the Darrow Donovan sideline that was a 65 we know yeah. it was 65 Reedy's shot that was saved uh, could have easily been a goal and then you've got their start their start and if you were to build like and I'm curious if you're thinking if you're John Kiley um, and you're trying to build a hierarchy of where this game went wrong like we know it was small margins but ultimately they lost the game 
is at the very top that their their intensity for at least the first ten minutes. Yeah, I think so. I think there's I think there's an, like I think down low cues are called a casualness. I think that's that might be a better word than sort of lack of intensity. I thought there was you know as I said like to you guys earlier, it's like sometimes it's not about like wanting it more, but it's about the the feeling that you can maybe like jog to a ball to pick it up because you know you'll get there. But it's not counting the fact that the swarm has come behind you, so you might not be able to do anything with the ball when you get there. So I think they just had to hit the ground at a at, hit the the pitch of the game much much quicker, and I think that's like. It was one seven to two points, and the game should have been over. And Limerick got back into it, and it's to their credit. But there's a little bit of luck in that as well. In that, like they got goals at the right time, and I thought a few decisions went for them. And it's not that they shouldn't have got back into the game. I just think that circumstances allowed that to happen. Another another game could have been put away, and it would have been over at half time. You know, I think there was a bit of like getting that goal before half time was massive, and that that I think, I think it clouds over the fact that they should have been put out of sight in the first 20 yeah, minutes, you know, yeah. and I think a lot of that does come down to themselves. I think that they just didn't feel, maybe it was just that they were caught a little bit on the hop by what Kilkenny did. And that's, again, there's a lot of that, like between what you're saying about TJ and maybe their lack of kind of uh, ability to sort of deal with that kind of swarming forwards. It, maybe it needs like, management to kind of have you don't want to be criticizing John Kiley after they won an All-Ireland title followed by a league title followed by a Munster title having been nowhere forever but they made mistakes in that game like they clearly weren't ready for what Kilkenny were going to bring them yeah there's kind of two elements to it here like it intensity isn't even the one I'd balk at it's more hunger because like obviously Limerick are hungry for the game yeah and it's not that oh Kilkenny are more hungry than Limerick and all this it's almost like Hunger implies that you're thinking about it. And you know, oh, yeah. I can't be arsed going for this ball and they're thinking about it and they want to go for it more. Where it's almost you have to get beyond thought that it's like you become so single-minded. There's no doubt in your mind. There's no, should I go here? Should I fill this space? Should I go to my man? Should I stay in front of my man behind or whatever? You get into almost like a flow state and you just you just, you just just act. You, re, you react rather than analyze. Mm. And by doing that, it just cuts out valuable, such valuable seconds that... You can be on top of a man before he knows what's happening because you've just done it. And you're not even thinking about it. You're just in that flow state. Yeah. There's also the thing that Kilkenny had that massive intensity in a sort of organized fashion. They weren't just running around one lad. You, know, you could be busting your bollocks running around after some lad on your own and no one else is there. Whereas like they were converging on one player on the ball. Oh, like, like we saw examples of we talked about Nash were all six forwards on top of him. If that ball gets away there's going to be five Space, free yeah. Limerick lads. It's just that you're taking a risk here going, we're all going to get on top rather than maybe a system where you're plugging up the gaps and you're plugging, you know, you're an organised fashion or formation or whatever it is in defence. They were just going, we're going to hurry and chase every single ball and for one, it's a tactic that nearly abandons tactics defensively. Um, we all know what John Kyle would blame. Firstly, you were wrong about your hierarchy, by the way, Mick. Um, the, 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 the first thing that John Kelly is going to blame obviously uh, is the Brits <laughs> <laughs> right okay the <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sunday game boys we might as well talk about that um, so last night the like there's been a lot of already discussion about this and kind of reversion maybe to and trying to analyse a game like that and I can like I can understand that um, my own thoughts on it were that it was it, the tone was just off like they missed the mood of the the nation at the time when everybody was kind of reveling in what was two phenomenal games and the 
Back to the Future with Kilkenny and Tipperary in the final once more. And they, oh, they just had to tone it. it was so, like, just, especially to format it with that at the top of the show. I don't think it, it, it was... It reflected what, like, it's a certain amount of, okay, we're not going to tailor to what people want to hear and see, which I respect. But then to go on a tangent about the last elements of the British culture and criticism of the sweepers after a game when, like, I, I don't know why that was even a talking point after a game when Wexford put up 320. Yeah, and also, like, I here's what I don't get. You decide to start off your analysis of an All-Ireland semi-final where Tipperary won by saying that today proved that the sweeper system is perfect to the team that lost with the sweeper system, right? And here's all the reasons that the analysis has been a disgrace over the last five years or whatever, right? What's the, what's, I don't understand the point of it. Like, I don't understand where that comes into anything that happened yesterday. I don't remember, I, I literally saw, I think, one person criticising Wexford Tactics yesterday. As a, as a, as an overall thing, as a defensive negative yeah, hurling yeah. kind of thing, you know, um, and I didn't see anyone else do it because Wexford have evolved their game into a kind of an exciting, somewhat attacking and definitely more pleasing on the eye game than it was last year or the year before. So, what were they talking about? Like, why were they talking about that? The last point I'll make, right, as a, as a man, because the thing that's often in my mind, I actually believe that type of you know accusation of disrespecting the traditions of the games. I actually think it's part of the last remnants of British culture on these islands, right? Because we know that the British, with the games that they, they founded a lot of them, right? But they struggled to accept and adapt to all of the wider influences in their game. And I, would, equ- I, and I would equate, exactly, this long ball to John Bull type spirit, Jack Charlton type spirit. It's exactly the same type of spirit for me. But I'm delighted that the modern player has moved on. Because I tell you this, if you went into any modern inter-county dress from they wouldn't even be interested in that talk um so that's that <laughs> yeah <laughs> the well like mark your glasses are kind of slipping down your nose and i think that is the last remnants of british culture on this in, in these islands because that's the way kind of like posh english people wear them yeah that's true uh toasters not bread not been big enough to or been too big for toasters brits uh, <laughs> price of freddo's brits um, yeah. The he, on this team, right? The, so for can one of you explain, like maybe you're more intelligent than I am, what he actually was trying to say. The way I interpreted it was that what he is equating the people with an aversion towards the sweeper are the kind of the non-traditionalists, which I think he's talking about British sports and people balking at their John Bull. Like, so am I reading this right? What he's talking about is basically the traditionist kind of reaction towards non-traditionist yeah, and it's, he's yeah. equating that to the yeah. British culture English soccer English culture people who want four four two and the long ball and don't want you know your triangular uh, passing Mike and Bassett. your, your messies and yeah exactly Mike Bassett and he's saying for some reason that when it comes to Irish hurling that we want the same game that happened 40 years ago because uh, we don't want any modernization because we're all old English traditionalists who just want the long ball on four four two. So, so that, don't his know. connection to those people and talking about soccer is perfectly valid, even if it's an irrelevance to yesterday's action, right? Yeah. But I don't understand what it's got to do with the influence of British imperialism in Ireland. So, the in Donald Logue's head, 
he is the Pep Guardiola's of this world and all the critics are the Sam Allardyce's of this world. Is that where he's coming out of? Yeah. yeah, but I think it's... I don't think it's a British thing. I think it's just conservatism in people. It's not like that that's the only sport you'll ever see it in. You see it in, there's a documentary, um, what's it called? Is it called Losers on Netflix? Yeah. Uh, where they talk about, there's one episode dedicated to curling and this guy started playing defensive curling and revolutionized the sport. <laughs> and people, they actually changed the rules to kind of stop it. It was gotten so bad. But again, there were traditionalists who are uh, criticizing that. Now, Don Lowe might say that Canada is a post-colonial uh, <laughs> a country like ourselves, so that maybe that's the last remnants of British imperialism there as well. But there's that in all, you'll see it in all types of sport, where there are, are not just sport, anything in life, where there's a new way of doing things and people will uh, rebel against change. MB- old NBA fans want people to go to the low post all the time instead of, instead of shooting trees. It's just a natural way of older people watching sport that's changing. And actually, he's got a point about the sport needing to evolve and that the people who don't want to evolve are the ones holding it back rather than, you know. And, and I think the most important thing about the super system that I don't think he's getting across properly is that it's only a starting point. It's a way of changing the game. As Davey pointed out after the game, it's like the hurling as it should be played, short sometimes, long sometimes, and a varied game based on the skills of the sport, right? And that's what, it's taken years to get there because people, uh, players need to be retrained, you know? But I just thought they went about it in this kind of like smarmy way, weirdly. And I look, Derek, I'm the biggest Derek McGrath fan in the Likewise, world. Yeah. But I thought his third level stuff and all, I think, I think... The point he was trying to make was that people are meeting people from outside of their their place, well, yeah. uh, you know, and they're talking to people from different counties. And the culture isn't just kind of one area's culture anymore. They're bringing back the whole hurling kind of landscape. I think that was his point. But what it sounded like, and what a lot of people took it was, is these lads are smarter than lads who used to work on the building sites and played hurling, you know. And I think that there's a kind of a, I I just was, I I don't think that's what he meant, but. What it sounded like was kind of a bit, ugh, you know? There's a, there's a rule, that, for those who don't know, this is a bit like inside basketball here, there's a rule you're told um, in Irish broadcasting, and regardless of if it's, a, if it's a cultural or a philosophical or even a historical discussion, your number one go-to rule always is blame it on the Brits. And I don't know how Dunlow managed to get that wrong. That, like, it's, your, it's your go-to fallback 100% time, it works, and he still managed to botch even that. <laughs> um, <laughs> The the second thing, just quickly on this, I, the the idea is right, lads. Like it's the I want to understand what the Kenny do differently. What was their changes? Why was Walter Walsh dropping off? How did TJ manage to find so much space in the first half? I want to understand that kind of stuff. It's I don't think the the idea the the theory behind what they did was sound. I just thought the tone was wrong, and in practice, it it, it didn't work out the segment. But I don't think it was like I think analysis is okay. Like anal- yeah, analysis I, is. Yeah. The, I thought it was. Why do you like, interested? How it's just a weird time to bring it in, as in the first exactly. Thing. And yeah. Also, I thought that the I rest didn't think of the it was that, analysis actually. Yeah, I thought the rest of the yeah. no, sorry, I was going to say the analysis in the entire show. I thought the rest of the analysis that across the night was brilliant. It was just that was a wrong. It was like first impressions are very important, and that was the wrong first impression to give. If they actually flipped it and were at the tactics board, they're talking about whatever what they were talking about later on in terms of how the the man mark TJ or whatever. That, and then talk about sweeper systems later on in the thing, when you're kind of like a word about Wexford or a word about uh, Limerick. Yeah. There was a grand point to bring it in. That's actually British an important point like, because it felt like a personal agenda-led thing on the night of 
when people wanted to see the two best hurling matches of the year, when people wanted the analysis of the game. And like, I know Don Logue is there because of his personality and so is Derek McGrath. But to be honest, they're there to do a job. They're not there to, you know, lead personal agendas. And there wasn't the place for it. And it was like as if, well, if we don't get to talk about this now, when will we? You know, maybe that was it. Uh, but the interesting, the other interesting point I find this is that people who are on the Sunday game, other analysts, and I felt sorry for Brendan Cobbett sitting in the middle of that because I think he'd be on that side. Just kind of haven't been quiet about it. Like, I mean, Ken McGrath's attack saying, like, the ego's out of control was an amazing thing. Ken McGrath was on the Sunday game on the live show earlier on that day. Yeah. And, like, there's an awkwardness there that's kind of weird. Michael Dignan, a little bit more in defense about the specifics of the Sunday game, but I think it goes to your point, Morris, where he says, two outstanding All-Ireland semifinals. Thanks to all our amateur players for what you keep on giving. There's no game like hurling and no need to overanalyze it. Hearts, guts, determination, conditioning, decision-making, coolness under pressure, still all critical. Thanks, lads. But he's after saying a load of things there that are all worthy of analysis. They're not just things that happen on their own. You know, so I, if that's what you'd put it down to, like... Why is that not something that, like, I mean, it's not, this fear of analysis is a very strange thing in hurling, I have to say, because I don't understand why you're just trying to see, you're trying to, in the same way as you do with any other sport, you're just trying to look deeper into it to see what, why one team came out over another, you know, and this, like, it's like as if they, they wanted to be random. Yeah. You know, that just like at the end of the day, they just, a, a thousand things and Kilkenny win, but like Dignan named five or six or what is it, about eight things in there that actually are important the funny thing is that is the point Derek McGraw was making last night but was lost in the whole <laughs> the whole overall thing but he was saying that like oh the analyzer saying that Waterford came out and threw the shackles off and just went for it he's like we were more structured we were more planned yeah, we had more of a plan than we ever yeah, did yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but like one thing when I was listening to that when he mentioned that I was like oh I wonder who they were we need to go all out in this we need like a survivor type series or something like that where we break them off into two camps we need to organise it going right who's in what camp who's in the Donal Logan Derek McGrath camp who's in the uh, <laughs> the Ken McGrath <laughs> camp sorry I just have this image right so you've got Ken McGrath and uh, Brendan Cubbins and all them on one side of an island and the other, and Don Logue and Derek McGrath and another Daly's kind of in between the two best friends with everyone you know <laughs> and the two boys are sitting around making a plan as to how to get their dinner or whatever like that whereas Ken McGrath and uh, Brendan Cubbins are just trying to climb the tree yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> just Cyril Farrell is just sitting there just going look at you got up <laughs> oh he's nearly got the coconut look, there jar look, 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 look you've everything you've coconuts you've, you've pigs you've white boars you've everything <laughs> but maybe Maybe the left side of the place isn't as good as the things it is. On that, right, I wouldn't be as uh, as quick to point in that. I, like, I think there's uh, there's always, you know, you peel back the curtain for a second, there's always some point. That, like, Dignan and Donald obviously had a fairly notorious falling out earlier this year. Um, I would So I think Dignan's tweet might be something about that, that a reason to criticise him. Simultaneously, I, I remember Ken McGrath uh, was skating in his criticism of Derek's team the day they lost to Cork in... 2017 yeah uh was absolutely i think i think he called him leaderless that day um uh, 2016 2016 yeah. sorry uh i or was uh, it the first sorry was it in munster in 2017 it was yeah. in munster sorry, 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that's when it was yeah uh, mcgrath was on live court for that game and was very critical of Derek mcgrath at the time so i the i'd say the that was much as much to do about the messenger as it was about the message uh, yeah yeah perhaps uh, but uh, it's still an interesting thing that there's a civil war going on uh, the Sunday game they'll all be my survivors camps uh, <laughs> TV show this is you. what happens they all get too opinionated and ultimately Cyril Farrell stays in there yeah, <laughs> year yeah. after year. the rest of them all have to resign in disgrace yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you'll see uh, you'll be it'll be like uh, these reality TV shows with one week to go before the before the finale who arrives up on the island only absolutely back again pure constipated reality television <laughs> the glory of hurling 30 second winch time lads Mark you're up first this week um it be tough going to find something to whinge about this week, but I've no doubt you have it in you. I have it in me. All right. Uh, count me in. Three, two, you're away. So chuck everything we just talked about in the bin, because I would happily take that any day over what all the people on Twitter last night were suggesting that they should have really been talking about. Because it wasn't, uh, all the tweets I've seen weren't like, how could people be talking about sweepers at the top of British imperialism after such a brilliant weekend of hurling? Everybody was like, what is this sort of analysis when the referee disallowed three goals uh, for Tipperary? All they wanted was, oh, this way we ignoring the elephant in the room with the referee performance today. All they wanted was them to analyse the referee and talk for two hours non-stop yeah, about how shit the referee was. It's ridiculous. Like, people, what, like, can you not just talk about anything else? Like, why is Mary yeah. Robinson talking about climate change when the referee disallowed three <laughs> goals for Tipperary? What about the ref, Mary? Well, I know it's such a good point. Actually, you kind of half explained that to me earlier, and I didn't really get what you were saying. It's like, it's like we get that the referee was bad. Why does it need to be? It just because it's it, it, this is what happens with people, and this is what happens. I go home from a match, and I go and watch Sunday game, and it'll be the same thing. So the thing I noticed, I can't relax until other people have noticed that and they talk they about it as well. It, yeah. And I think that's what happened. I think this is going around and they go, geez, the ref was fair bad. I can't wait to see what they say about this other game. And then they didn't say it until the last five minutes and so they're just losing their shit yeah. going, they're not going to talk about the fucking ref. But people were giving out about the Sunday game, starting their analysis, giving out. But it wasn't because they were giving out. It was because they were giving out with the wrong thing. <laughs> I'm going to come in on the same thing. I'm going to, I, my, mine is, is in a similar line. Uh, Mark, you count me in? Three... Two, one. Lads, I'm so sick of the same decisions after the same games and same instances being talked about in the same way. Like, it's the most... Hurling people who should be smarter, who are way smarter than me and should know better, given all about a referee. And, like, the every single time, it's all like the players deserve better and it's absolutely slaughtering a referee who's in an impossible job after the weekend. And the, the worst thing about it all, right, is that if you genuinely cared about players deserving better or about the game or about the standard of the game, you'd suggest ways to change it. Like, you'd focus in on do we need two referees? Do we need VAR? Do we need changes? Instead, it's, a, it's people looking for numbers or it's people looking for an outlet or just raging into the abyss without any sort of constructive... If you really want to change it, I, suggest it. Yep. Fix it with something concrete. Ironically, their analysis last night when they eventually did get around exactly to the referees yeah. was yeah. brilliant exactly spent, it was the I think it was maybe the second last thing or the last thing they did it was at about a quarter past 11 mm. it was we got through that start aside to go through all the, the proper analysis of it then went look at the referee's job they actually highlighted how impossible it is to do it you should really watch it they just put the camera uh, on the referee and said look at all the things he has to do here in about a 20 second gap and then they were like here's the, here's the solutions we need video technology we need two referees they, they had the presenter's solutions right Rather than just giving yeah. out about the ref with no, but again, ends. that's like, the Sunday game. What I saw was like people off. Like this isn't TV. This is like fans on Twitter, and to be honest, some journalists and stuff as well who are saying like, really, like it's not personal, but it feels personal. Like really. Like strong, strong worded stuff about a referee, like as if he had some sort of choice in the matter in the performance he had, which was like absolutely filled with mistakes yesterday. Let's face it, like that's 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 worse than usual. Let's say considering the impossible job that they're given, but like at so at some stage, like Morris is right. Like it's like 
what good is it just like talking about this referee like calling them names and everything like that like do you think he's delighted with his performance when he went home yesterday if you care about the players deserving better like the referee's an amateur as well who's gone out to volunteer to try and give some of his time and that actually is some of the remnants of British culture in <laughs> how sport is analytics like, you watch so many games uh, in soccer and it's, that's exactly, it yeah. Yeah, half time league, yeah. this was the Premier League, this was the penalty decision this was the free kick decision this was the send it off yeah. decision was the referee right of course he was right it was a two footed challenge into somebody's head why are we analysing whether the ref was right to make it a call or not yeah. and so your, your choice it's a really simple choice actually you can either you can fixate on the same mistakes and we'll have the exact same conversation the same rage in next year or you can talk about constructive ways that we can actually fix that which, of, which there yeah. are plentiful because referees aren't there. going to get any better Exactly. They're not. Exactly. There's so, no, the, the game's getting faster. There's a brilliant podcast. Timekeeping needs to be taken out of their hands and looking after subs needs to be taken out of their hands. And if you bring in a second referee, great. But if you just do those two things, they can at least watch the match. There's actually a brilliant podcast. What's your man's name again? Uh, uh, you've taken... But you haven't told me anything about him. Uh, it's all right. Come Michael there. Lewis. Michael Lewis. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus author, Christ. Yeah. Mick's going to have one. <laughs> <laughs> You were saying, you told me about him. <laughs> yeah, where does he start my sentence? Uh, where he points out that he's got analysis showing that uh, the better refereeing has gotten in the NBA, the more angry people have gotten about refereeing decisions. The yeah. more they get right, the more people get pissed, pissed off. When people actually were getting angrier about the seconds delay when the referee went up to the video ref to clarify something, then they were getting angry about him making the wrong decision before they brought in the video referee. Yeah, so it's never going to change. Mick, you're up. I'll count you in. I don't really have anything to complain about. Go on, I'll do something anyway. <laughs> don't know what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, busy for the last Can I fit two in? I might be able to fit two into 30 seconds right. here. Right? Count that, me in. That'd be impressive. Two, one. First of all, right, I want to talk about the fact that the, the, the throw has got out of control. Now, this is something that Mark wants to talk about on a wider scale. I'd say that Colin Fenley's point, everyone's talking about the 65, an honest mistake or whatever like that. Colin, Fe- The winning point for Kilkenny, Colin Fenley like, threw Damn. it like a shortstop back to throwing at the first base um, in baseball. It was unbelievable how obvious it was. No call, no discussion about it even. I can understand a missed call, but you need to discuss about it. The other thing I want to say is the Sunday game, I don't want to say any more about it, except I'm sick of them talking about the agenda, setting the agenda of the, of, for the discussion. Time's up. Well, we did well, well there. You got that right in. And you, you started your second point with seven seconds to go. <laughs> well, I didn't really say much about it. It was just a sentence. But uh, yeah. Lads, we have to move more. on. We have to move on. Wexford and Tipperary, um, which was, wow, what an unbelievable game that was. Um, the like, there's, there's a lot of different things that we want to talk about, but the uh, Nick English wrote a great column in the Irish Times today. And the one thing that he said was, this was the greatest display of resilience by a Tipperary team. And I thought, like, that's, that's spot on. That's exactly what this was. Every, from, every, from the disallowed goals to the red cards to when it looks like the flow of the game is going against them and Lee Chin went up and hit the goal, their, their response for a team that, as Shidi said after the game, were questioned a lot recently was, was Trojan stuff, really, Mark. Yeah. And also, it was interesting. I thought in the interviews after the game, the talks, I think Shidi was on about these lads and so many questions were asked about them probably in response to last year and their disappointment and even this year when people were saying you know that the down tools uh, in the monster final when it went against them that like that was definitely a thing going into this game that was the, the, you talk about dressing room wall material mm. they must have wallpapered the place because <laughs> <laughs> they certainly went in with a chip on the shoulder that they were just not going to be bet yesterday yeah it's funny because I was listening to the Sheedy interview exactly the same as you thinking like oh we're not gonna you know a lot of questions I'm thinking geez I've heard of every manager under the sun say that and god if everyone was writing off as many teams for nobody we, we wouldn't have any team to win the All-Ireland but then I was thinking 
God, it really actually does fit for this tip team. Like, yeah. you know, it was they were, like they went out and won their like they dominated Monster Championship until the Monster Final, and then they didn't play well for two weeks in a row. Added to what happened last year, added to all the weird infighting and stuff like that that was happening when Michael Ryan was there, and you're thinking like, so I I don't know if there's any top quality team in the country in hurling or football that have as many questions asked about their character as Tip did, and it's funny. They didn't perform for large parts of yesterday, even though they were kind of like they had, they had a lot of momentum stoppers, like to disallow goals and stuff like that. But it was something about when when that second chin goal went in, they just let off the leash a little bit, didn't they? And it was like they were kind of unstoppable after that. Like, wasn't it weird, right? So, like we always talk about red cards and how they change games, and the normal way that they change game is that the team with a numerical advantage, for obvious enough reasons, will kick on. But the, and I mean, this isn't just the perception point. Dave Fitzgerald actually said this after the game as well. The difference that McGregor sent off made to Wexford. Like, yeah. the, it seemed to kind of discombobulate them a bit. And the thing that actually really registered me was, um, I don't just say this because he said it on our podcast, but I think the best piece of analysis, or one of the best piece of analysis I've heard this year was John Conlon breakdown of sweepers on this show a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was brilliant. And it's, it's colored the way I look at it as that or whatever you want to call them a spare, a spare man sweeper whatever you want way you want to look at it uh, it's colored the way I look at them ever since the way he talked about it. and it was I was in the back of my mind for the entire game when I was watching Foley so what John Connor what John Connor said was like what is a primary duty of that spare man it's marked the edge cut off supply to the inside did most dangerous players in the field that inside forward line don't be competing under for break don't be competing under puck outs or long balls in you're supposed to be on the breaks don't be dropping in behind the full back line because you can't do anything there you're just protecting the goal you might as well be the other end of the field like you need to intercept it before the ball gets in their hands not after and Foley did the opposite from the after the red card in, he dropped yeah, in in the late stages exactly yeah, yeah. he yeah. dropped in behind the full back line and I was thinking about what John had talked and John was talking to us about it in relation to Walsh for Kilkenny funnily enough against Wexford and it's funny that they, he seemed to make the same mistakes again and it seems to be like a oh we need to they have an extra man therefore we have a bit more wriggle room here and I can drop deeper again which is actually the opposite to what you nearly need to do you nearly mm. need to force men, further men forward and he needs to like maintain his role yeah because suddenly Tip then, because he's not out there doing what he was doing for the rest of the game, Tip with a lesser man there as well, just have so much more space. space. Yeah. And they did, and they, they took advantage of it. And then you had Callan coming out deep a little bit and him getting on a lot of ball. McGrath shooting from so far out as well. No, McGrath, obviously. <laughs> John was gone. And Bubbles as well, you know. And suddenly Tip were just everywhere. And then, like, you know, you had... Morris coming on and actually causing a bit of chaos as well like that which I was kind of happy for it by the way in a completely separate uh, tangent here about uh, given the conversation that we had about his under 20 performance and how poor he's actually been which when on the point field massively. senior I mean, test that was definitely the confidence from I think that, he was yeah. full bags of confidence score. like yeah. yeah and his score out in the yeah in the, on the left side was unreal and then he buried the goal as well even though it was disallowed like you know so it's funny can, can I just say quickly about um I'm probably I'm going off your uh, schedule here, but like on the, without getting into the details of the referee performance, is that I feel that there's a narrative that it was for tip possibly more than it even was. If you look at it from an overall sense, right? So McGrath got sent off rightly, should have been a straight red card yeah. and not second yellow. That doesn't matter for yesterday's game; it matters for the All Ireland final. But just to take that into account, um, Heffernan should have been sent off. Ref missed that. What was he thinking? Yeah. So ref had his back to it, right? So he didn't see it. So there's nothing he could do. Again, I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that there's another thing that went against Wexford. After McGrath sending off, and Dignan pointed this out in commentary, there was three or four uh, 
decisions just went against Wexford, and one of them was like a blatant push in the back out in the sideline. The worst was, was free the in. That's Conor a score. foul in the box, though. The yeah, and and that's what I was going to get to because that was again the narrative of TV. One was the square ball. I don't think that was a square ball. I thought that the TV proved that it was at least borderline. I yeah. thought McDonald did really, really well to stay out. But because Dignan had decided it was, when he saw the replay, he thought that proved it. So therefore, again, that's another decision gone against Hip, right? And the Hawkeye thing in the first half, there's nothing the referee can do about that. That is, it's very, very unlucky for Tip, like unbelievably unlucky, a four-point swing like that. But there's nothing the ref can do about it. And... The other thing then, and, and so with those softies and what you're talking about, Conor McDonald like wrestled to the ground, like a UFC tackle almost, in the box and no penalty given. So all the decisions didn't go for tip. They were obviously high profile ones or everything. There's a, there was a hand in the back for the first goal in the first half of Michael Breen. I wouldn't have given it. I don't think it was a free. Um, that should have been a goal and they obviously should have played advantage for Morris. But other than that... Did that like you know you had all those up over the course of a game and it's close enough like it's not as obviously pro tip sixteen men against fourteen or whatever that the narrative suggested and nobody really challenged. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was uh, sidetracked to something I didn't want to talk about. Uh, it's, it's see, uh, see, the reason I want to talk about that is not giving out about the ref. It I, really is. I'm saying it's, that it's actually to talk about Wexford not being as far out as 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 almost been suggested. It's like, well, Tip had three disallowed goals. They should have hammered them. But I'm saying is that a lot happens over the course yeah. of seventy minutes, and I thought Wexford were as good as them for sixty five, and they ran out of legs. And I think there's a tactic element to that, is what you're saying, with the descending off did suit tip. I think they made a mistake with, with the way they played um, Foley as, as, as a sweeper. But then also, I think they were absolutely gassed. Uh, looking ahead to the final, lads, we talk about matchups a lot on this podcast. A matchup that I cannot wait for after this weekend. I think it'll, it could be one of the best of the, of the decade nearly, is Rona Maher on TJ Reid. That will be fireworks. The, if Rona Maher holds the centre the way he ended up doing in the second half, I thought he was incredible. Uh, Ro- uh, yeah, Roland had his best ever game for Tipperary. Yes, oh, I can't imagine he's ever been better than that. But he was. He, I think he came alive as a hurler yesterday. Yeah, um, and so that matchup is probably one that I, I, I can't wait for. The other thing as well is that on that final, like the the it's a it's the same final in a sense, but it's also not in that it's two kind of really different teams. Like there's not the they carry the tags of old, but they're not the teams of old. They're even the way they play is is a lot different, and that kind of makes it a bit more. Like less predictable and kind of exciting, way more exciting actually than the maybe in previous years. After all, they've given us already. Uh, the final thing before we finish: where does the semi-finals rank? So we've got five in the last two years, five incredible semi-finals. That's right. So if you're trying to think in your own head about the ranking them, is a hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. So uh, Donny in the office here came up with his own ranking I think we'll start with that one so he has Cork and Limerick last year's semi-final as number one Tip and Wexford at number two Galway and Clare the draw game at number three Limerick and Kenny the game from Saturday at number four and the Galway Clare replay at number five I the only change I'd make to that I'd actually have I think the Tip and Wexford the last 20 minutes was slightly was actually a good bit worse than the last 20 minutes of Limerick Kenny I thought that was a a tiring team against a team that were coming back. I think Wexford versus- scored two goals in the last twenty-one minutes or twenty-two-one. Yeah, two-one. Yeah, last, free in. Yeah, as well, yeah, got a free in. And, well, that was an injury time. That was the, oh no! Before that, I think they got the the Paddy Mar one you were talking about earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. So I yeah. I'd actually go my ranking of this right is Cork Limerick, and then I'd have Limerick Kilkenny as second. So would I. I I think that was big. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cork Limerick as well. 
wasn't great for the first 50 minutes or so in that Cork looked as if they're going to win this handily and then actually it went the other direction where it just went all Limerick and so, even including the extra so it's Limerick Kenny first no because I'll tell you why because a game like that that self, sets itself up into coming into its own yeah. in the 50th minute I think is and I think I'll remember I think there's something about like Pat Ryan and coming on and Limerick just having that epic comeback followed by the save followed by the freeze what when what everything that happened in extra time the ding dong kind of nature of it and just the fact that it had the extra 20 minutes which yeah. you know Limerick Kilkenny this week didn't have I think just puts that slightly ahead right, yeah. Yeah. if it comes to, if it goes down and to the, the smaller it, county one let's it, face yeah, it if you were to rank these <laughs> in uh, order of fist pumping uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Galway Clare be well up in that one Galway Clare's well up but then I think Tipperary Wexford has to take it because you have you have Sheedy and Davy Fitz together and Tisha Bufflin and Tommy Dunn yeah the, did you yeah. see the photo our photo on Instagram it's incredible of the Tipperary bachelor team <laughs> about six foot Doing up in the a air a star jump yeah. yeah I will just make a small case just again just having been there and obviously been a Clare fan for the first Galway Clare game second one wasn't too bad either it was a bad match but it was very exciting but the first I'd have that's happily at five by the way on the list here but the for the Galway Clare to at least be at three ahead of the Wexford tip game, I will say, right, it had two last second equalisers, one in normal time and one in extra it had time. Possibly the greatest score ever, points ever scored in Hornet. Without a doubt. And it also had like one of the best individual duels I've ever seen, where both John Conlon and Dahi Burke were man of the match uh, contenders, despite marking each other for the whole game. <laughs> two heavyweights. There was at one yeah. stage, I think, I think John Conlon had something like five or six points from play, and Dahi Burke was brilliant. <laughs> and he marked him on every single one of those points. That's something you never see. And I'll, just, I'll never forget that kind of battle. It was just brilliant. Like, all right, sure. yeah, people tweet us in. Why are we tweet, talking? Yeah, about tweet that? us, Instagram us, comment on Facebook. We'll try and put into an article later on in the week. I s- uh, yeah, so, and we so, could bring in other semi-finals over yeah. the years as well. There was those like we've had them for a few years now. The Waterford Kilkenny semi-finals the year before when that went to replay as well were fantastic. Yeah. Like, don't forget this, that. Just the last two years, making into a nice top five. Yeah. And, well, we made. Um, I saw somebody saying that if hurling keeps going like this, it's going to be like American football, where they get the the the. the the best night of football of the year is the AFC and NFC Championship games, and then you have to you have too much uh, too much hype and yeah, build up the into final. the Super Bowl. Yeah, so it's the semi-finals are the place to be for hurling these days. So we're, we're our list, our definitive list, for, uh, not definitive, just for now is Cork, Limerick, Limerick, Kilkenny, the Galway and Clare draw game, Tipperary and Wexford, and the Galway and Clare replay. That's what we're going to go yeah. with. And uh, Tip Wexford is <laughs> is after getting screwed. <laughs> The, the 28- By the way, Hawkeye made a great comeback as well. A Cyril Farrell like Lazarus comeback. Hawkeye, the order of the day here, so it was used about 15 times in 10 minutes. Boys, we're, we have to, we're way over time here. We have to get going. Lads, we'll be back with you on Friday to preview the Super 8s. We've got a, a, a big show lined up for you, a great guest, as well as our guest, The Handicaps, which is becoming a, an absolute thriller lately. If you didn't hear last week's podcast, this is just some of what you're missing. So I'm going to do a different, a different game. Okay. Can you, right? And this is going back through the years. It's a yes no game. Think of the horror I'm thinking of right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, as you had such a brilliant comeback. Can we just keep going until we get it right? Yeah, as you had such a brilliant comeback, I'm going to give you. So the yes no, if you get. If, okay. It's like what's nuts. Yeah. You can go first with a question. Can I just guess it? Well, you can, but if it's not right, then. It's his goal, yeah. but it comes back to me. Yeah. Kieran Carey. No. Jerry McInerney? No, lads, you're going to have to <laughs> okay. do something to try uh, this Is day. he from Munster? No. 
Is he from Leinster? Yes. Is it Martin Story? It is! Oh, yeah. no, of course it's Martin's story! I knew it was a moustache. I knew it was a moustache. That was when McInerney was my first guest. Of course it's Martin's story! Winner! <laughs> the winner of it's the It's so award. obvious! Yeah. Um. God, do I not really sound like that, do I? <laughs> Alright, folks, we'll chat to you on Friday. Take it easy. <laughs>